Well, open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to continue in this little series we're doing on the deliberate church. Attempting to talk through, think through some of the things that we do intentionally. Because everything that happens in church is teaching you something. Everything that we do uh, from the front, everything that we fail to do from the front is teaching you something. So we want to be intentional. We want to be deliberate about those things. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 2 is where you're going. Uh, While you're turning there, you may have seen a request uh, this week to be praying. Uh, It was on the church's Facebook page, uh, praying that God would give us clarity in sharing the gospel uh, and that it would be clearly heard and clearly represented. Uh, If we didn't give them any more details, uh, because the situation was increasingly weird. It, It was very strange. Uh, so I'll share it with you. Uh, just keep in mind, uh, don't like put this on social media or anything, but uh, I got a call the other day in the office from somebody who identified themselves as a TV producer from New York, and uh, I thought it was one of you putting me on for a second. Uh, but it turns out in the coming season of Breaking Amish, there's a girl from Shipshawana who has gone to this incredibly exploitive TV show. I mean, that's basically what they do. They exploit these young people, then they tell them how horrible their traditions are, how, how sheltered and backwards their family. Wouldn't it be better if you just left that area, left your faith, and came to something else? And she said, this girl wants to come home, and she's looking for a church, but she doesn't want to go back to the Amish. And yet she kind of has this fear that if she doesn't go back to the Amish, that she's going to go to hell. So would it be possible for you to get together with her and uh, share from your faith why uh, you think She's not going to go to hell, if you think that. Clarified it, uh, and just maybe do a Bible study with her. And I, my initial response was, I don't think so. Uh, this is an exploitive TV show. They're going to exploit her and us and anybody else in the process and uh, let somebody else have their little 15 minutes in the sunshine because we're not going to get any positive press from this in this area. People in this area hate this show. Uh, so I said, the only way we would even consider it is if we can share the gospel with her. Uh, And after hearing from her that I really am looking for uh, a church, I am really looking for something to deepen my walk with God, help uh, inform my walk with God, and I'm I'm hungry for that. It's not just a ploy from the TV show. Uh, So I said, if you ever call me, uh, awesome. I hung up the phone, I went to tell Jay, and as I was walking from my office to Jason's office, it occurred to me that three times in that conversation, I had walked through the whole outline of the gospel with this TV producer. I hadn't even thought about it because that's what they were asking. They were saying, would you please share the gospel with this girl? So by the time I got to Jason's office, I was actually thinking, this might be a great idea with this problem, that we can say, you know what? Yes, this was the tradition you grew up in. There's good things. There's, there's baggage things that come with that. But the reality is we don't go to heaven because of the good things that we do. We go because Jesus died in our place. That we were sinners, that we were dead in our sin, unable to save ourselves, and he made us alive through his death and resurrection. He is our only hope. So you don't have to be Amish to go to heaven. I said, here's my fear that, and the producer actually came in and I sat down with her and I said, this is my fear that we're going to share this message and then you're going to chop all the front part off and go, you don't have to be Amish to go to heaven. And we're going to look stupid. 
And yet, as we prayed about it, and we, we called the elders and said, would you guys be praying about this? I just kept coming back to what, what lengths of looking stupid are we willing to go to if we can actually share the gospel with somebody? So here's what I'm going to ask you to be praying. Uh, they came on Wednesday and did all that out here at the little Bible study. We had a fantastic group out here, and here was our plan. We're going to talk about the gospel so much that they have to delete down to one word to not have it break through if they put it on air. And testimonies and uh, sharing from the scripture, and it was, it was awesome and fantastic. Uh, let's be praying that God impacts this young girl's life. I could care less about television stuff, right? You with me? Uh, we rail on TV evangelists all the time here. So you know that's not where we're headed. Uh, having said that, we can also pray because there was, I kept grinning. I, I was sitting here, and I kept getting this big, stupid grin on my face because there were like five or six camera people and sound people who I kept thinking, this must have been what it was like for the guards standing guard over Paul as he wrote all these letters to the churches of the gospel, and they were his captives. And I kept thinking, these people are our captives. For like an hour and a half, they have to hear the gospel nonstop. This is fantastic. So... If God can use it in her life, if he can use it in their life, and if it goes any farther, hey, whatever God does with it. But just be praying about it. We also wanted to tell you about it so that you don't see it on TV and people go, was that your church? That's weird. Uh, here's, here's what we're going to talk about this morning. When you're joined to a church, when you're joined to a body in covenant membership, when God has brought us together, it's really about one thing, and that's the gospel. This is why we exist, to share the gospel with each other, to encourage each other, to encourage those outside of God's family, to get to know God, to realize the desperate state of their own hearts. I, I found this awesome cartoon from Dennis the Menace, if you remember him when you were a kid. Uh, him and his little buddy uh, got cookies and milk from Mrs. Wilson, and Joey says something to the effect of, you know, what did we do to deserve this? Because we're bad kids, pretty much. So how did I earn this? And Dennis responds, uh, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gave us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. God hasn't saved us because you're good. God saved you because he's good. And what happens when God takes dead people and makes them alive, when he takes sinful people and makes them saints, doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means the spirit of Christ is living in us, and we want something different now. It doesn't make us look good. It makes him look good. God's work in your life, his plan for your life, that whole God loves you, he has a plan for your life, that's true, and his plan is about him, it's not about you. As he works in you, God looks good because he's good. So Ephesians chapter 2, would you stand to your feet? We're going to read verse 7 verses here. Again, another tradition, we stand, we're honoring the word of God. We're saying, God, we submit ourselves to this word. Ephesians 2 Chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. 
and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, you see those words? So that, all of that is true. And here's the purpose of it. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that that would be true in our lives. That you would so work in us, you would so reveal yourself to us, God, you would so join us together as your body here, that in our age and the coming ages, you would make yourself, your gospel look glorious. That your kindness to us would not be about us, but it would be about you. That you would get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the church exists to reflect and to demonstrate God's glory. That's why we're here. That's the only reason. It's not for music. It's not even for preaching. It's so that those things could accomplish something, and that is that we take on more and more the likeness of Jesus. And we reflect his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Jesus, as the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Last week, Jason talked to us about the purpose of the church, why the church exists, how it's not actually possible to say that confusing sentence of, I believe in God, I just don't agree with the organized church because God's the one who organized the church. It's a backwards thing to say. It doesn't make any sense. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says, His intent was that now, through the church, right, God's intent is that now, through the church, not, not independent of it, not separate from it, not condescending to it, but through his church, which is made up of messed up people like you and me, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities, not just on this earth, but in the heavenly realm. Folks, that is a huge responsibility. That is actually a calling that we, as individual members of the church and even the corporate body, are unable to live up to that task. We cannot closely enough walk in holiness, walk in the likeness and the nature of Christ that all of the super powers out there, all of the demonic forces, all, all of the things that go on in the heavenly realms look at us and start quaking because of our righteousness. That doesn't happen. It only happens when Jesus takes messed up people and he pours his spirit out in our midst. Again, God gets the glory. So the church exists to demonstrate God's glory. So let's, that, that was kind of what we talked about last week. Let's look a little bit at what it means that God has joined you to that church, that you're a member of that church. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you grew up going to church? Raise your hand. So most of you, when you hear the word membership, it comes preloaded in your mind. Something you already think about, you already understand, and be honest, you already have some sort of opinion about positive or negative, and let's be honest, for most of us, it has a little bit of a negative, right? Maybe we got burned in the past. Maybe we saw membership that didn't mean anything. That's why this morning we're going to be talking about covenant membership, meaningful membership, believing, uh, and it's been part of the Christian tradition uh, back to the oldest times when they established the Orthodox creeds. Uh, believing in the communion of saints. 
that it's not just you and Jesus. Jesus didn't save you so that you could disappear into some woods someplace, and it's just you and him for the rest of your life. That God has brought you into a family, and now you're part of communion of saints, the joining together of the saints, the saints that meet here at Eden, the saints that meet at Maple Grove, the saints that meet at New Life, the saints that meet in Middlebury and LaGrange and everywhere in between, all who call upon the name of Jesus, we have been joined into God's family with them. That's sort of church Catholic. Catholic just is a word that means universal. That's the universal church. When you're saved, God adopts you into that. They talked last week about some of the biblical symbols of the church, the, the body and uh, being part of the sheepfold, and there were several others, and everything that he mentioned was plural. I don't know if you thought about that. that none of these symbols that God has given us of what his body looks like, even when he talks about a body, he's talking about us as members of the body. The plurality, that God intended for you to walk out the Christian life in plurality, joined with other believers. I'm just telling you something. Let's just talk about how it's worked for you. When you've tried to walk the Christian life out alone, how's it worked? You drift, don't you? You get frustrated, don't you? You allow sin to creep in. Why? Because God intended for you to have other believers who, as long as it's called today, would be encouraging you and drawing you back towards the Word of God. It's God's design. It's God's plan. There are some general standards that apply to all of the church. Not just this church, but every church. Standards of biblical authority, uh, pursuing holiness, things with your thoughts and your deeds and your speech, stewardship of resources, sexual purity. There's a whole list of them that you find in the Word of God. And one of the awesome things, and Jay was the one who shared it when when he did, I I thought, oh, that's awesome. Uh, There's a big swing right now that says uh, we're not supposed to judge anybody. We're not supposed to have an opinion if something's right or wrong. And with all the cameras rolling, Jay said, uh, the Bible isn't afraid to actually make those type of statements. So we don't, we don't pass judgment. We don't establish traditions or ways of holiness at all to the best of our ability based on what we believe, what we think, uh, what some church dictates you have to do. But we're going to live in obedience and submission to what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Amen? That's universal. That, that means if you have a church that says we reject the clear authority of Scripture, they have stopped being in communion with us. Now, there's a few issues that are kind of going on right now where different churches are piping up and going, we reject what the Scripture says about this. We're going to stand apart from Scripture. And you may hear us mention that from up here and think, well, Aren't we still joined together in faith with them? The reality is we are only joined because of our submission to the Scriptures and the God who gave us the Scriptures. Are you with me? So as soon as that is broken, no, we're not in communion anymore. We will not call you brothers. It's why we don't call Muslims brothers. They're not our brothers in Jesus. They have not been adopted into God's family. It sounds harsh and it sounds exclusive, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I have one blood brother on this earth. That's it. I like the rest of you. Sometimes I like you more than I like him. That's not actually true. I love my little brother. Uh, it is what it is. And me calling you a brother, in not in a spiritual sense, but in a real sense. Oh, you're my brother. Oh, you're my sister. It doesn't change reality. You weren't born into the family. 
you're born into God's family, you are. Pretty, pretty simple, pretty basic. And so here, here's a question for you, because I, I think this happens. Uh, why do people resist membership? I want to spend just a few minutes thinking about this, talking about it, because I'll be honest with you, I'm one of those. Like if we can just have a little transparency. I'm one of those who for a long time had a pretty healthy resistance to church membership. Hey, if I'm going to the church and I love Jesus and I'm passionate about God, here's, here's where we get just a little condescending. Because by passionate about God, we mean not like those other churches that have membership. Right? There's just a little bit of looking down the nose there. Uh, that's all it should take. Like it doesn't take some piece of paper. Now, we hear that argument other places too, don't we? If we love each other, why do we have to have a piece of paper? Come on, church. But the Word of God told us to, right? That don't live in sexual immorality. Let every husband have his wife and the wife her husband. Right? You with me? Same thing with the body of Christ. Why do we need to walk in membership? And I'm not talking about name-on-the-line membership, because even if you don't have that, you have membership. You just don't want to call it that. Why? Because Jesus told us to. He told us to be connected with other brothers and sisters. So the first reason that people resist this is legalism. This door kind of swings both ways. It's either they've seen legalism and they're resisting it or because they're legalistic. So here's the, here's the first one. They've seen, maybe in other churches, an adding to the rules of salvation. What it takes to be a Christian, what it takes to make it to heaven. All, all the questions that this young lady had that we were sharing with her, what, what does it take to actually make to heaven? Well, I'll tell you what it takes. You have to go to our biblical foundations class. Then you have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way. You can't have this type of vehicle. You have to have that. As soon as we do that, we're putting hurdles, we're putting requirements on you that the Bible does not make. Are you with me? Right? Now, that's legalism, and I believe any Bible-believing Christian should look at that and reject it. It doesn't mean we reject the people because they're not intentionally trying to walk away from the Word of God. They just kind of have messed up how you get there. Are, Are you tracking with me? You following with me? So... We've seen that, and so we resist it. But I want to say there's a difference between requirements for membership and requirements for heaven. Remember I said that we're all part of this church Catholic, this church universal. You know what? There's some, there's some different specific things that we have at Eden Worship Center that even the churches that are the closest to us don't have. We're a little bit different. Some of you might even say weird. Right? Whatever that, that word is, it makes us unique. God has built these unique features in. And so I think it's all right for us to say, if you want to be a member here, these are some of the requirements that we have. We're not saying you can't go to heaven without them. You can. We're saying if you're going to be joined in a real, meaningful membership here, it helps to know what you believe about God and what we believe about God. Does that make sense? If you don't get 10 years into this thing and all of a sudden something comes up and it blows you out of the water and you're like, I can't believe... The pastors believe that. Well, we're going to cover that, right? We're going to make sure. There's certain codes of conduct that actually go with all of Christianity. Where, I'm sorry, but if you are married and you're having an open affair with somebody else, the Bible gives us a pretty clear message on what to do. In fact, the ESV, which is the the version we read through, uh, says that we are to purge that member. Right? Those, those are hard things. By the way, how do you purge a member out of your 
your number in your congregation if you have no idea who's a member in your congregation. You can't kick me out. It's like the, the uh, couple who's about to break up, and you know he can see that she's about to break up with them, so he's like, I break up with you. That happens in the church all the time. Somebody's walking in sin, and the elders go to talk to them, and real quick before the elders can get it all out, I break up with you. I leave this church because you're terrible. Why? Because there, there's no meaningful membership. It doesn't mean anything. So legalism. Uh, there can also be on the other side where we get real legalistic. Now, we, we actually think it's freedom, but there's legalism in saying, I will never be a part of a church if they have organized membership. Why? Because I'm legalistic about it. We actually think that's walking in freedom, but it's actually the exact same thing that the people who they think are walking in legalism have. It's just a different approach to it. And here's, here's why that doesn't work. Legalism tries to fix the wrong problem. I think... Sometimes we make a mistake of being super condescending towards churches who've probably been around longer than us. They've had more time to make mistakes and traditions, ruts to get stuck into. They're trying to fix the problem. They're just trying to fix the action instead of the heart. I saw this awesome story about this. Most of you know I'm a, I'm a big Civil War fan and uh, I'm a big Abraham Lincoln nut. And I read this story where one of the guys from the 1st Rhode Island Regiment was headquartered in the U.S. Patent Office in Washington, D.C. Everything in the Civil War turned into a hospital. Everybody was dead or wounded, so everything, schools, churches, U.S. Patent Office, post offices, they all became hospitals. So the U.S. Patent Office becomes this hospital, and there's guys on carts and laying on the ground everywhere. And Christians, because they were actually caring and serious just a little misguided, went way out of their way to try and witness to these guys. I mean, really, they had a captive audience. If your leg gets shot off, you're not, you're not going anywhere, right? You're not running away from this, this little witnessing thing. So uh, this lady goes in. It's a true story, by the way. And she's handing out gospel tracts to these guys that are in there, like early printed things of this is the gospel, except a lot of those tended to be real legalistic. You have to do this. Don't ever do this. And the guy gets it. And to his great misfortune, the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, happened to be in the room. Now, Abraham Lincoln was a pretty imposing, powerful figure. He was about six foot five. It had this just enormous frame to him. He was way taller than most of the guys of his day. He was also leading one of the most powerful nations in the world. And he sees this lady give a gospel tract to this soldier who starts laughing at her. And so Mr. President steps over and corrects him and starts to chastise him, starts to chew him out. Here's the guy's response. He says, Mr. President, replies the wounded soldier, how can I help but laugh a little, sir? By the way, he's in there because he had both of his legs blown off. She's given me a tract on the sin of dancing. Both of my legs are gone. See, that's what happens with legalism. We're, we're trying to fix the wrong problem. Rather than addressing the things of the heart, saying God wants to work in you so that it can come out of you. By the way, when God works like that, he gets the credit. Because people look at messed up people like you and me, and I'm telling you, it's awesome to see some people that I've known for a long time. Uh, Bill Gayhart, I worked with him at, uh, he's like, dang it, why'd you mention my name? I uh, worked with him at Dutch Housing a long time ago. He can tell you, 
hopefully for the most part I behaved myself, I did have a bit of an ornery streak. Yeah, no, I know, it's true, it's true. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, redeemed ornery streak. And yet, there, there's other people who we run into, and what they see, hopefully, is God has worked inside of us, and he's changing the things that we want. That doesn't mean we get it all right, does it? Nobody's perfect in here. Here's what it does mean. It means we're not just trying to change on the outside when the inside hasn't changed. You know what we call that? Hypocrisy. The world takes one look at that and says, I want nothing to do with it. In fact, I'm not coming to church because there's hypocrites. The reality is there's broken, sinful people in the church just like you and me. Yet Jesus is working inside of us to change us to look more like him. Totally different. So legalism, the other one is license. License is actually just the thing. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And if I join a church and I become a member of that church, they're going to have to tell me what to do. Like, what if I want to do something sinful and they come and call me on it? Right? We resist the Holy Spirit by resisting the people the Holy Spirit has brought into our lives. There can absolutely be a rejection of God's authority, and the word of God's authority in our lives. We resist membership in that. And I, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what your preloaded issues are with membership in here. I just want to say right up front, God has joined us together. It's one of the things that we believe at this church. God has called us to point people to God and to help connect them with each other as well. When we haven't done a great job of that, we want to see it, recognize, and do better. Because it's, it's 50% of this equation of walking out the Christian life. Jesus works in your heart, and then he surrounds you with people. So what happens is we choose, for those of us who are here this morning, on some level you've chosen to join yourself with the local church, right? Not, not the church universal, like a local church. To come to church in the morning, you have to make an exclusive choice. I don't know if you thought about this. The fact that you're here means you've excluded all the other churches in this area this morning. So that could either be really condescending, like what gives you the right to, you know, skip over everybody? Or we could say that's how life works. We make choices. So part of the being joined to a body means it has privileges and it has responsibilities. So if you're going to join yourself to something, you maybe want to know what they believe, what they stand for, what it is that they're all about. Because you can have all kinds of friendship and relationships. And man, I go and I just, I feel at home. And then they don't actually believe the word of God. That's not a church you want to feel at home in. Are you with me? Right? So let's look at a few of these things. One of the, one of the privileges and responsibilities is accountability. And I have these up on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's what happens. Sin lives in our hearts. It works its way out in our actions and our attitudes. And usually, now come on, let's be honest. Usually, we're blind to it until it really blows up and then we see it. Isn't that how it works? We'll just let it go, and we'll let it go, and, and it's growing. And then all of a sudden, it explodes, and usually explodes on the people that we love. So husbands and wives, you guys are super good at this. Revealing a desperate need for sanctification, for God's work in our lives. Here's the other thing is we need each other. Long before we end up in a spiritual train wreck, we need other brothers and sisters who can hold us accountable. 
who can say, man, I don't know what's going on, but I see the trajectory, I see the path and the pattern of your life, and it's headed for trouble. Where are you at in your walk with God? We need that type, that type of accountability. And the other thing is, for those of you who maybe are a little bit shy and you think, I could never do that, God has put you in people's lives to share that as well. Now, hear me, this doesn't mean we walk around correcting each other all the time. That's called annoying, right? God has not elected you, the Holy Spirit, for that other person because of your relationship with him. But there is a chance that the Holy Spirit's going to put some stuff on your heart to share with them. So Sometimes we need to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and do that. The second thing is oversight and discipleship. Discipleship can happen outside of covenant membership. Oversight can't. This one only works if you are in some sort of relational membership with somebody else. Here's the, the verse from Hebrews 13, 7. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. Uh, here's a question for you. If you're not joined to any specific church because you're just the spiritual butterfly that goes from church to church, what leaders are you submitting to? I can answer that for you. None. Now, you may think temporarily you're submitting to leadership right up until, now think about how this works, right up until they say something that doesn't quite sit well with you, and then the butterfly takes back off. That's not called submission. That's called only going where you get your way. That doesn't work super good for children, and it doesn't work super good for Christians. Here's the other thing. That verse, uh, let them do this. These are, these are the, the people, the pastors, the elders, uh, the mentors that God has brought into your life. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. If you have a relationship with people in your life with spiritual oversight, that every time they see you, they groan, not awesome. You're not going to be discipled very well if every time uh, Jason sees you coming, he's like, you know why? Because their thought is, how do I get away from them? (laughs) That's right. In other words, they're not going to be investing into your life. They're not going to be sticking around long enough to know anything to be able to bring you and point you towards God. They're going to be trying to get away from you because you're a grumpy old so-and-so, right? So stop it. Join yourself to the people around you. And part of this, and I can actually say stop it, because we actually have to make a commitment. It's a decision. It's a decision to go, you know what? I believe that God has joined me with these people, and so I'm going to open the door. Not to everybody. Like, not everybody in here gets to speak like that to you or to me. It doesn't work. There's a handful, though. There's a handful of people here who you have relationship with, you have trust with, you've built that bridge, and they can actually come and say some pretty difficult things to your life, and you'll stand there and take it if you've been joined together, if you've been joined together. Here's one that might be surprising to hear it as a privilege, but it's judgment. This one's kind of long. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. In other words, he's saying, I'm not talking about non-Christians. Let's expect non-Christians to sin and get over it. I'm talking about Christians here. 
But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? In other words, Paul asks this question, uh, are we supposed to be judgmental? Are we supposed to be passing judgment on non-Christians? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Listen to the second half of this, though. Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? Another rhetorical question, except this one's yes. If they're not a Christian, Paul says you have no business judging them. Of course they're sinning. They're sinners. That's what they do. If they are in the church, if they are members, one another with you, you have to be walking in discernment and judgment with them. Verse 13, God judges those outside. So God takes care of those who are non-Christians. The implication is you purge the evil person from among you. Those are hard words. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time we read the scripture from up front, we use the ESV because of the way it's translated. It's a very accurate yet relatively easy to read translation. And I almost thought about looking for a different translation so I wouldn't have to read purge that member from among you. It just sounds mean. Yet there is something that is a benefit to you. Can you say to me? There's a benefit to you when the judgment of God begins in the household of God. Because you have been joined one another with the people that are here. That means if there is somebody here who is walking in open sin and rebellion, bringing shame on the name of Jesus, most of the time that's going to go on so far below the surface, behind the scenes that nobody knows. But when it comes out in the open, there's going to be an instant identification with you and this church and vicariously on the gospel of Jesus Christ. How could the gospel be true? How could Jesus be true? How could that be a good church? How could you be a Christian if that was going on among you and you didn't say anything? Judgment is a privilege. And let me just say this, because all of us walk in sin. All of us have time where sin creeps into our hearts and it creeps into our minds and it creeps out of our lives. Judgment is a privilege for you. When you have this blind spot that comes up, and it's a sinful blind spot, and yet God has given us the remedy for that, and that's repentance. God doesn't say, oh, Adam sinned. Get out. You're done. Or if he said that, there'd be nobody here. The remedy is repentance. We see our sin, and we come in brokenness, and we say, God, cleanse me. God, wash this out of my life. When somebody comes and shares those things with you, that's a privilege. Keep that in mind, by the way, because your first response isn't going to be, oh, what a privilege. You're going to be, you're a jerk, right? All the reasons why, you know, we, we want to start pointing out. Let me give you a little heads up. As soon as your response is to point out something evil in the other person, you have an issue. If you can't stand there and take it, you have an issue. Are you with me? Okay, good. Glad we're sharing together. Uh, the last one here, we're almost done. Stick with me. Uh, help and assistance. New Testament actually says that there are spiritual gifts of helps. People who, the last thing that they would ever want to do is have to come up here and hold a microphone and make an announcement. God forbid. I know because I've asked some of you and you refuse to do it or you do it with great fear and trembling. And yet these are the people 
who so often will get behind the scenes and they will give them themselves and their time and their resources to help, to serve, to assist somebody else. Here's Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially, you see that word? Especially to those who are in the household of faith. In other words, God actually says we should give preferential treatment to the people who God has joined us to. Do we want to help the people in this world? Absolutely. Do we want to give assistance and aid and relief to those who are suffering? Absolutely. How much more should we do it for those who God has joined us to? How much more for those in the universal church? Maybe they don't come to this church, but they're part of God's family. Yeah. How much more, again, if God has brought them into your family here at Eden Worship Center? Does that make sense? That we have a responsibility to each other. And I love that you guys are good at that. Can I just say that? I love that this is a strength of our church, that you guys are very good at working behind the scenes and helping out behind the scenes. So let's talk just a little bit here as we close about membership at Eden Worship Center, what it actually looks like, how you actually get there. I think if we bring it down to just your name on a page someplace, uh, it's not super helpful. In fact, when we, when we started moving towards membership, that's kind of what we said, which wasn't kind of helpful, <laughs> was, uh, look, we, we just want to, you know, help you make a commitment and, but we're not, we're not really going to follow up. We're not really going to do anything with this. It's just sort of your personal statement. Here's what happened with that. Names on a page in a filing drawer. That doesn't help you walk in holiness. It doesn't help you walk closer to Jesus. In fact, what happened was we had a couple years go by, and then people who were members of Eden Worship Center hadn't been here in two or three years. So, you know, as God started convicting us on this, one of the things that we did was we sent out hopefully a very loving letter saying uh, we're super hopeful that wherever God has moved you, that you're connected with another body of Christ, uh, but we're just letting you know you're no longer a member at Eden Worship Center. That can sound exclusive. Doesn't that almost sound like we're rejecting them? It's not. It's actually just saying here's in reality what's going on. You don't come to this church anymore. You're not joined to this church you are in the universal sense, but not in the intimate thing. So here's, here's how membership here is supposed to work. It starts with a clear testimony of personal faith in Jesus Christ. You don't get to be a member of God's household if you're not a member of God's family. Right? If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if he hasn't saved you, let's start there. That doesn't mean go away. It means let's start there. Let's start there today. Uh, one of the things that we ask of people who want to be a member here is that they go through this biblical foundations class or weekend or however we have it set up. Again, we want you to know, if you say, I believe in God, we want you to know the God you believe in. We are living in dark times, church. We're living in a world that says you can just believe anything out there, and some churches are believing that. This is a time for the church to say, this is who we are. This is the God that we believe in. We love you, but we're never compromising that ever. Dark times are here, and darker times are coming. It means that you have to live and believe in agreement with the statement of our core beliefs here. You don't have to believe every single thing that gets preached from this pulpit. Right? This is good news to some of you. We actually have a fairly wide swing, even in the pastoral staff, 
of what they believe and how some of these things get walked out. And I think to you, that is healthy and that's a benefit. It means you're getting a very broad spectrum of the gospel. But when it comes to the core beliefs, the things that we say, this is who our God is, this is how he's revealed himself, this is how salvation works, 100%. And if you can't agree 100% that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that our only hope is Jesus, that he died on the cross, his blood is the only remedy for our sin, his resurrection has given us new life, that this earth belongs to God, that one day we, be, we who belong to God will spend eternity with him. Those who do not belong to God will spend eternity in a place of judgment. This isn't the church for you. There's churches out there that will let you literally believe anything. This is not the church for you. We want you to know the God that you serve. Otherwise, you won't serve him. You'll serve you. Follow that? You're just following what you believe. You're, you're not following God. You're following you. We want you to know what the word says about God. so You can follow him. Uh, if you're new here and you want to be a, a member we want to sit down with you. Like We want to sit down with a pastor or an elder. We want to hear your story. We want to hear the, how the gospel has impacted your life. We want to find out where you are in your spiritual journey so that we can hopefully start doing a better and better job of plugging you into being discipled. There's a couple other believers who can walk with you and then sign the membership covenant. There actually is a time in this where you actually put your name on the dotted line. There, there's a bunch of copies of this out there in the foyer. We're not going to have a giant membership covenant collection this morning. But I want you to, if you, maybe you had one of these and you lost it, or you have questions about it, pick one of these up. Because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about this morning is actually in this document. Talking about what we believe, how God has joined us together, what are our statement of core beliefs. Uh, if you don't like paper, we have it online. Right? If you're just really worried about saving trees, uh, I, I'll ease your mind a little bit. We didn't actually print these off. We had some left over. Uh, you can go to our website, EdenWorshipCenter.com. Uh, all that stuff is on there. But there comes a point where you actually have to say, I commit to this. Because being a part of God's family means we make a commitment, means we make a choice. Let me read you one of the paragraphs out of this document. It says, membership is not just showing up to church meetings. It's not a status symbol or a social club. Membership is entering into a covenant that calls for a higher degree of responsibility, service, and sacrifice. By becoming a member, you are committing to be part of a spiritual family that will provide support and encouragement in your walk with Christ. Our elders and our leadership pledge to assist you as our members first and foremost by providing care and counsel as we pray, teach, and guide you as necessary. Like there's things that you commit to, there's things that we commit to, I heard, I heard an interesting story, which I think is a good way to wrap this up. You can go ahead and close your Bibles. Somebody posed the question, what if I told you that at the end of this service, I was going to give each and every one of you $10,000? I didn't say why. I just said, I'm going to give you $10,000 this morning if immediately following the, the service, you meet me down in the kitchen. In case you don't know where it is, it's just down on this end of the hall. It's going to be renovated soon, but as soon as the service is over, I'm going to give you $10,000 every person if you meet me down in the kitchen. Now, if you are sane, you will have some grave doubts about what I've just said. If you know me at all, 
you will say there's no way he has a financial ability. My wife is looking like, don't do it, baby. Don't do it. Right? It's impossible. It cannot happen. And so you would be skeptical. In fact, most of you would just laugh it off. You wouldn't even go. Right? Now imagine that we had a guest with us this morning, say Bill Gates. And he stood here and said, didn't say why, just said immediately following the service, I'm going to give each and every one of you $10,000 if you meet me down in the kitchen. You know what some of you would do? You'd skip the sermon. You'd go to the kitchen so that you could be first in line, right? Why? Because there's a difference between me and Bill Gates. With me, you're going to make an assumption that I do not have the ability to follow through on my promises and on my word. And yet, even if you don't understand why he would offer you that, you know he has the ability. That changes everything. You may not be able to guess at the motives, but you know he can make good on his promises. Here, here's an awesome example of great faith. Sometimes we think faith is this thing that we kind of stir up in ourselves. Like we, we have to imagine it. We, we have to like force ourselves to believe it. And if we do that good enough, then God will respond to whatever it is. Here's, I, I was having this awesome conversation with Laura right before the service started, and she was telling me about this website that's just full of all these scriptures for people who are struggling with different things, and it's basically going through the scriptures and then saying, God, I choose to believe this. That doesn't mean that we work up anything magical. It means that we believe there is a God who, even if we don't understand his motives or what he's doing, has the ability to follow through on his promises. That should make us jump up to be the first in line. Even when we don't understand, even when times are dark and they are hard, that is why we need each other. Because I'm telling you, if you're a Christian more than five minutes, at some point you're going to feel like giving up. And at some point, you probably will. If you don't have a brother or a sister who can run to you, either put their arm around you or pick you up entirely, God help you. You're all alone. Proverbs says that it's blessed if you have somebody else, because if one falls, the other one can help them up. But if you're all by yourself, God help you. The worship team, if you guys want to come back up. By the way, can I just say as they're coming, I love that one of the things we've been doing recently is giving people a chance to respond as we worship God. When we do, we just, we just kind of open it up. Like it, in response to submission to God, you know, whatever that looks like, it, sometimes people come up and, and somebody prays for them. Sometimes uh, it just happens right where you are. Sometimes it's just your heart responding to him. Whatever it is, God is looking not just for our names on the line. God isn't just looking that you came to church on a Sunday morning. Like, that's great. It means you're headed in the right direction. God is actually after your heart, though. God wants your heart in such a way that you're not only surrendered to him, but that you're meaningfully covenant-connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the reason. Because those brothers and sisters, that church, this church, is not the object of your faith. We cannot always come good on our promises. Jesus is the object of our faith. 
He's the object of our worship. He's the object of our affection. It's actually him that we're joining ourselves to because the church is his body and he is the head of it. In fact, Jesus says, I will build my church and I'm going to engineer it. I'm going to build it in such a way and I have the power to sustain it that not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. At the end of the day, the gates of hell will fall. This is good news, by the way. And the church will stand. Did you hear that? For everybody who goes, oh, I I don't believe in the organized church, the gates of hell will one day fall and the church will stand because Jesus is the object of our worship. He's the head. doesn't mean we always understand God's motives or his plan, but we know that he is able to work individually in broken hearts and lives like yours and mine. Good news for us. He's able to work to heal and remold us into his image. He takes people who don't even want him and he reshapes us to people whose hearts are broken now with our sin. When you fall back into that same pattern of sin, your heart is is broken, isn't it? Isn't that how that works? And then you, you long, even though you're resisting it, you long for those times of repentance to come close to God again. And he's able to join us together so that those broken, messed up people reflect his glory and we demonstrate his goodness, and his power to a watching world. Stand up on your feet with me. Let's let's respond to God's word. As we sing, just surrender yourself to him.